Welcome to the FitPro Lead Gen Podcast, where each Monday we bring you a brand new guest interview. And today we have another big one for you. But before we do dive into this week's guest interview, I just want to say a big thank you to Lead Deck for sponsoring these shows. Lead Deck is the all-in-one platform that helps you generate more leads and get more bookings. As usual, if you want to join in live with these guest interviews and ask questions to the guests themselves, then come and join us in the free Facebook group. In there, you'll be able to join in with these interviews and find a load more resources to help grow your fitness business. Anyway, enough of me talking. Let's dive into this week's guest interview. Hey guys, David here and welcome to a brand new FitPro Lead Gen podcast. And this week we have Alan Miles on coming to talk about everything attention grabbing and turning likes into leads. After all, there's no point having a load of likes on your Facebook page if you're not actually making any money from it. So Alan, welcome to the episode. How are things? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, I've noticed that my T-shirt matches the banner along the top. That was by accident, <laughs> but it's it's on brand. So no, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to diving in. I think the most important thing about when we do these kind of guest interviews is that both of us have fake plants in the background as well. It like really makes a big difference to how it looks. Yeah, yeah if this was a real plant, it would have died a very long time ago. <laughs> Everyone must be like, wow, Dave, plants never get any taller. It always seems to stay at the same height. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? How everyone has to have some kind of fake plan in their in their office scene uh, just to give it that that official office vibe. Also, when I was I know we're not, not getting into the topic, so everybody just kind of bear with us for one second. But we were kind of just tidying the office up. So like there's a blank wall out and it used to be filled with all these books here. So all these books are not like to show off that I've read all these books. It's just I just haven't had the chance to put them somewhere else after moving the office around a little bit. <laughs> That's the next thing that, that you need to get is uh, a bookshelf with then hundreds of books behind you. Loads of people have those like big open bookshelves, don't they, with hundreds of books that they probably have, have never read all of them up. But they, oh, they look I, I don't think I've opened half the pages on any of them anyway. So <laughs> no, I tend to find myself buying a book and then just listening to the audiobook. Yeah, it's just much easier, much easier. Anyway, sorry for everybody who's kind of having to listen to us having a little chit chat here. <laughs> Today, uh, we're bringing Alan back on, but this time we're going to focus a lot more on generating attention and turning leads into likes, specifically for online fitness, uh, online businesses, but also for offline as well. But before we kind of get started, let's let's learn a little bit more in case people don't know who you are. Who is Alan Miles and how have you got to the point of where you yeah. are right now? Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, I'm a dad and a husband. Like families always come first for me. I've got five children. Um, and the reason that I, I do the work that I do online now is because of my family. Um, my career was predominantly spent in B2B sales, um, it, mainly in the recruitment industry. And uh, I owned a recruitment agency twice. The last one we grew quite rapidly. So when we launched it, we went from zero to 1.2 million pounds in the first 12 months. And then we pretty much stayed at that kind of level throughout the uh, four or five years that we were running it. Um, I sold it simply. Uh, I wanted some freedom. Like I wanted to spend more time with my family, moved to the online space, um, built a high ticket fitness business back in 2018, 2019, um, when it was the Wild West. And <laughs> it was successful, but it just didn't light me up as much as I could see it was lighting up my peers around me at that time. So I sat there and thought, well, what am I good at? What do I love doing? And it really is building businesses. It's that, that entrepreneur mindset, 
I built a very good skill set around leads and sales and uh, business process. And that's what I do now and share with businesses, both online and offline, uh, predominantly in the coaching space, but not solely in the coaching space at this point. Um, and yeah, I love what I do at this point. Nice. Okay. So let's, there's two things you mentioned and they're the two things that don't really get talked about a lot, even though I've been kind of talking about them over the last couple of episodes with a few other people. And let's talk about the first one, which is selling a business. It's like, it's not something we're, we're taught as business owners, we're taught generating leads, making sales, retention, all that, but we're never talked about exit strategies, how to get out of a business. So why did you decide to sell the business? What kind of thoughts behind it was there? Yeah. So do you know what? It was um, it's something that I wish that I had had more guidance around at that point. And it was really a case. It was a very emotional based decision. In all honesty, it was a case of um, we, there was two owners. There was myself and then the, the other uh, company who essentially were the finance partner to the business. And um, I ended up selling my shares back to them and got royally screwed over. For anyone who kind of knows the depths of my story, I, I sold my million pound business for 49 pounds. So it wasn't a, a great equity release story or anything like that. But I think when you look at making that decision, I think the one thing that life has definitely taught me is that exiting a business, like you want to be building a business. And this is the advice that I wish that I had received at the time and have, have since learned and kind of really studied so that there's nothing wrong with making mistakes, but you obviously want to learn from them is at all points, you always want to be building a sellable asset. Even if you have no desire to sell it, you should be building something that is a sellable asset because you never know what the future holds. And I think that the moment you become a slave to your business and it isn't enjoyable, and I'm not saying that you should enjoy every moment of every day in business because that's unrealistic, but the moment it feels like it is taking away from your life more than it is allowing you to have life, that's the moment personally for me that I believe you're in the wrong vehicle and you should be looking to exit that vehicle um, because life is finite, like time, you only have so much of it and money, yes, we all need money. I'm not going to sit here and say we don't need money. I'm not one of those people. We do need money. Money's great, but it shouldn't be to the detriment of living a life of value, especially when it comes to children and family. And, and that's really, for me, why I sold and why I allowed myself to be put in a position that um, meant I walked away from £49 because they, did, they didn't expect me to obviously sell a business that's very well documented on Companies House, producing seven figures year after year. Basically, I walked away with my £49 because I had a 49% share. And when I opened it, I had £1 per share. So they put me in the corner and I was like, I don't want to fight this. I literally want to leave. Just give me the £49. And I carry that £49 in my wallet everywhere I go. Must be a heavy wallet then if it's in coins. Yeah. <laughs> no. So it's a couple of notes and then a couple of coins. But it goes everywhere with me for that reason of never forget that the only person that will always have your back is you yeah. like in every situation. And I think that's the thing with business. And I know this is kind of off topic, but it's really, for me, it's a really passionate area is that so many small business owners tangle who they are as a person into their business and lose sight that a business is a cash producing service or product you are a human being like your business being successful or unsuccessful does not make you a good or a bad person and i think so often these two things get morphed together because we spend so long building our business we put everything into it like having a child it becomes like an extension of who we are 
And when somebody says something negative about our brand or something positive, our brains so often interpret that as I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. And it's, it's really not. We need to, I think it, there's, it's not spoken about enough in small business, like entrepreneurial circles, that you need to have those two things separate. That you as a human being is one very different thing to you having a business. I think that's an interesting point that the small business side of your just two intertwined with it and this is more down to staff and clients if you know you need to get rid of a staff member but they're a close friend or they've been with you a while you kind of just keep putting it off because it's like oh they're going to be upset with me or they're not going to be my friend anymore but yeah at the same time they would happily just hand the notice in and say i'm leaving and not yeah. think twice and the same for clients as well yeah, it was something that it, like working with close friends and family is something that um, I think is a really dangerous mix. And I think Alex Samosi actually summarizes this really well, because my wife used to work in, in our recruitment agency with me. The other partner had a big issue with it. They were like, it's not an, it's not a healthy environment. She shouldn't be working in there. And for us, it just worked. And I think the only way that it works is if you hire that person for the job that they're doing, regardless of who they are. Like mm. that's the point where it works. And Alex Amosi talks quite a lot about this. And it really resonated with me because that was why it worked having Becky inside of that business, because she was great at doing admin tasks and running the payroll. That was what she was great at doing. So it made sense to hire her. And I would have hired her whether she was or wasn't my wife. I think the moment you hire somebody because they are a friend, not because of their skill set or because they're your partner or whatever, that's the moment that if they aren't performing, well, then it becomes a very heavy decision to make because it's now it's no longer about you're not good at your job. I need to let you go. It becomes personal because it's like, well, you hired me as your friend and now you're firing me. So does that mean that we're not friends anymore? And that's where the resentment, I think, really builds up. Nice. OK, so another one here and you've kind of briefly talked about it already is moving on so obviously you were in the recruitment and then you were in your high ticket online fitness business and now you're more in the coaching so for you you've got the experience of moving on but for those people who are running a fitness business and they've been in it for a while now and it's just now it's really starting to drain them and they don't see an end they just struggling it's just not going anywhere and they know they actually need to step out and move to something different how does someone internally pluck that courage to actually push forward and move away yeah it's a really good question and i think that it's an area that i've spent a lot of time thinking about and when you study and really look at big business owners, people who are successful, who change from vehicle to vehicle, and they they do it with speed. And then you kind of, I kind of layered that with my own experience. And for me, I had wanted to leave the recruitment industry for quite a long time. Um, it was an industry that I just, for anyone who's ever been in it, you kind of, it's a very specific type of culture. And it's not not really me, but it was a skill set that I'd got good at. I was earning good money. So all of these feelings start to come up, which is very normal of like, this is our main household income. I can't just flippantly go and do something different because that's selfish. I have children to take care of, a mortgage, et cetera. So you start to get to this place where you feel like you have no option. For me, um, full transparency, it was having my wife sit with me and me tell her how I felt. And she went, I didn't realize you felt this way you have to leave, like you have mm. to sell it. And explaining that feeling to her and knowing that she was there 
And she said something along the lines of like, ultimately, if it all goes wrong, like, I would literally live under a bridge with you. And in my head, I'm like, oh, that's not okay. I don't want to live under a bridge. <laughs> but but um, it's that thing of knowing you need some people around you to support you. And I think if you really are on your own and you have to make this decision on your own, I think you need to then look at it from a logical perspective because the emotional side is very hard. Like you're going to feel a weight and a pressure of guilt and kind of, uncertainty and fear so i wouldn't advise a rapid jump but i would create a runway think of it like an aeroplane if you've got an aeroplane a 747 loaded with fuel it can't take off on a small runway it needs a long runway if you are trying to move from one career that you've spent 10 15 20 years doing and you're wanting to go and do something new you absolutely should explore that. But I think you need to create a long runway. So 6, 12, 18 months, have a very strategic plan of when I hit these markers, I will do this thing. So when I hit the first marker, I will reduce my hours. When I hit this next marker, I will like hand my notice in or I will leave that job or I will look to start finding a buyer for that business if I'm selling it so that you can transition out of it in a smooth way. It means the time horizon is much longer. Um, it's not like sexy and exciting, but it creates a, a nice platform for you to smoothly transition out of something in a logical way so that you can keep that level of security at a good point. Because from a mindset perspective, we all need those core needs met of making sure we've got shelter, food, security. And for a lot of people, I think that's why they, and for me, definitely, that's why I hung on to what I was doing was it created security. I knew I could pick up a good amount of money every single month whether I liked it or not. And you start to find evidence to say why you should do it. Like you create the reasons. So just create new reasons as to why you should be looking for your new vehicle and then create a solid plan. Nice, nice. Okay, so let's get into it then. Generating attention and turning likes into leads. Let's probably start with the generating attention first because again, attention is going to lead to likes and then likes yep. hopefully then turns into leads. So let's start with it. What is generating attention first of all? Yeah, so generating attention, it's something that seems really obvious, but I think is massively underutilized. And um, I always try, uh, I'm one of those people that I learn the hard way. If I'm going to fall down this side of a rock cliff, a like rock face, I'm going to hit every single rock on the way down and feel every single bump. And that's very much how I've always had to do things. So for me, I came into the online world very heavily resting on sales experience and attention is still something you get from knocking on a door, picking up a phone. It can be like that one-to-one -one attention that you're getting with people. It's very low leverage, but it's still attention nonetheless. So it's not until you start to look at this bigger picture to understand, okay, well, I'm building an online business. I think a lot of people get very pigeonholed and they're like, I'm building an online business. I should only do that on Facebook or I should only do that on Instagram. And they pick one platform and they go all in just on one platform but yet they haven't looked at any of the other platforms, they haven't tried anything else, they haven't tried things that aren't social media. Attention, I believe, especially if you're in the early stages of a business or you don't have a pipeline that is bursting with leads, shouldn't rely on simply one form of traffic. We want to understand where is my tribe, like where are my people the most? And we get that by using mechanisms that allow us to reach as many people as possible for a testing window to go as far as possible. Well, we want to be everywhere long-term really, but if we're starting from scratch and we have no infrastructure, we just need to have a testing window where we're saying, okay, how can I get myself as far and as wide as possible to understand where everyone is 
and then I can understand where my people are. And um, that that's where this really starts is attention is understanding where are the eyeballs, but more importantly, where are my eyeballs? And, and to kind of caveat this, I think when people start thinking of attention, they always think, oh, well, that means I need to have like a million followers or like 500,000 followers. That isn't what I mean. Like it's about understanding the business goals. You might be fine with 2000 followers on a platform if they're good quality followers and you have a very specific niche that you work inside of. We're not trying to create vanity metrics. We're trying to just get in front of as many people as possible so that we don't have to constantly sell to our entire audience. We can sell to a very small percentage of that audience and create anticipation and um, a need for what we have. Um, and I think, look, things like the PlayStation launch is always a great example. Every single four or five years, there's a new console that comes out. Every single year, it sells out and there's a wait list for months, especially in the run into Christmas. And every single time, people will go and pay two or three times as much as they need to on resale sites to get hold of it. Uh, it's about thinking of things in that perspective of how can I create that much excitement that I can make my customers wait for six months for a product and they're still excited to give me lots of money for it? Okay. So let's say we're unsure on the the channels to be on, then how can we do research and find out where, like you say, my eyeballs are at, not where all the eyeballs are at, where my eyeballs are going to be? Yeah. So I think that we break this down into two places. We break this down into social and then just uh, digital marketing more broadly. So if we look at social, first of all, when we're doing the research, we want to first go and look to see who else is doing what I'm doing? Like, who's the market leader? What does the competition pool look like? And where are these people? And what are they doing to get hold of it? Um, and then when we're looking at it from a non-social media perspective, it's about looking, doing the same thing, like looking at the blogs and the podcasts and all of these different platforms and saying, okay, well, who is doing and serving the person that I want to work with? How do they do it? How big is that pool? And then... Finally, the, the, the other one is looking at the offline. Uh, so looking in your local area. And just because we've created an online business, so often we then neglect everyone that is around us in our local area. And I think that it's a great place if you're afraid to be on a Instagram reel or a Facebook reel or to do a live video, maybe you should attend a couple of really small local marketing events first and get used to speaking to a room of 10 or 15 people whilst you have a nice cooked breakfast. Like It's about understanding that you can get attention in lots of different places. The reason we're getting attention is because we want to build relationships. So it's about looking in those three different pools to understand where am I in my career? How confident do I feel based on what I can see? Because imposter syndrome will undoubtedly play a role at some part in this journey. And then understanding that just because this guru told you that you should be posting five YouTube videos a day every single day or five Instagram reels every single day from day one, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you have to then start to work backwards to understand why and how can I fix it? Because there is no, no, there is no denying that good quality content in a higher volume will always outperform a lower volume. It's just simple math. So it's about understanding your kind of situation and then reviewing those pools. So let's say we are being quite specific with our audience, but then I jump on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I, I look at blogs and YouTube channels and I just see so many other people 
doing this exact same thing? How can I create this attention to make myself stand out more and actually be recognized and actually be taken serious? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that for me, when I see lots of people doing um, like working in a specific niche, I'm like, good. That means that there's lots of opportunity there. Like it's now about understanding what's going to be my differentiator. A lot of people will just immediately go to wanting to give er like everything away for free and it being a price led thing. I personally believe that you have to put faith into this and you need to understand that you as the individual, you're the difference maker. So trying to simply copy, and I've seen this quite a lot. There's a lot of people who they don't just emulate somebody else's content. They read it word for word. And it's like, okay, I've watched this piece of content from the actual person who originally posted this a couple of weeks ago, and now you're just regurgitating their information. Yes, we want to learn from the world around us, but we want to be us. So I believe that there's absolutely a time horizon on this. We have to show up consistently and we have to be ourselves. And this is the, the thing that a lot of people, I suppose, become scared about, but is, but what if that doesn't work? Well, if you show up, and you have conversations, which is where the likes to leads bit comes in, it's inevitable for it to work. The only thing that's going to not make this work is if you don't commit to it consistently and you don't show up. Like it's, it's, that, it's really that simple because like attracts like and your person, whether they're talking to 10 other people, if they are really connected to you and your story and kind of who you are and how you do things, like you might not be the number one online fitness coach on planet earth that's okay as long as you are able to fill your cup to the place where you need it to be filled you don't have to do a billion dollars a month it's okay like i don't think any neither of us have done that and we both live very happy lives it's about understanding what do you need right now and then actually putting a number on that because if you look and i think confidence plays a big role here but if you start to put a bit of content out and you start to get disheartened that you're not getting lots of views but yet you just had 250 views on something if you remove kind of judgment from the world around you well a couple of years ago before any of us were online if we had walked into a room and 250 people had walked past us even briefly and liked something looked at something watched for a couple of seconds you'd have walked away from that experience and been well that's pretty good like 200 people came and like looked at me do something like you'd be happy with that and i think we've lost perspective like if you have a piece of content that gets 80,000 views let's put that into context you've just filled wembley stadium with people and i know that the reach can be monstrous but if we can contextualize it and make it tangible for a minute all of a sudden those 10 views that you get on that first reel fantastic those 10 likes you get fantastic like that's 10 people who liked what you did like that's a good start like now let's build on that and i think if you can break it down to that tangible metric 10 people looking at something it's far better than zero people looking at something and it's about kind of just building on that one step at a time i think the, the show up is i think that is the biggest one like you say people will turn up they'll get excited because they've seen a new strategy or system and post two or three reels for the first couple of days 
not get the results that they had been told that they would get and then like say feel disheartened like I, I remember one guy once and he was saying oh this is how i send my emails out but he had like a list of thirty thousand people and it's, it makes a big difference yeah you sending it out to your couple of hundred compared to him sending it out to thirty thousand. there's a big difference so just keep turning up yeah yeah, absolutely. Consistency is the uh, is the cure all more than anything else. You can have a much lower skill level, but if you consistently show up, you will always improve and you will always see the result in the end. It's about that consistency. And I think it's about helping people to understand that focusing in on this attention piece, it's so much easier to do everything else that comes after it. If you have some level of attention that is yours, as opposed to to shying away from the attention piece, like I did personally, and having to then constantly walk upstream all of the time, um, you start to create much more leverage. Um, so the sooner you get into that consistent discipline of trying to get attention in various places is the sooner everything becomes easier for you. Nice. Okay. So the attention is now being grabbed and we're getting people liking our posts, following our page and all this type of stuff. How do we actually how do you actually convert likes into actual physical money? Yeah. So I think now it's really a case of looking at it and it's organic marketing is now the, the buzzword of the year at this point in time, everywhere I look, everyone's talking about the renaissance of organic marketing, et cetera. And I think when you look at the difference between organic and paid, um, they are two sides of the same coin to some degree. It's the same type of person. We're using the same types of platform, but the organic messaging and turning those likes to leads is a different process. So just like the organic chicken that's running around the field, pecking away at bits of grain and bits of grass, as opposed to the battery chicken whose sole job is to pop eggs out all day long, who's in a cage just pecking away, like that's to me, that's the difference between the messaging styles. So we need it to be a much softer messaging style. The timeline is usually a bit longer and you can be more aggressive with messaging, but I don't think it aligns very um, very well with most consumer-based coaching services. So like fitness coaches, mindset coaches, nutritionists, it doesn't feel particularly great for most of them to be pushing an organic messaging sequence, which is hard to drive into a lead. So we want to start with very soft conversation and we want to put hooks in the water essentially and allow the fish to come to them when they're ready to some degree. So we're opening the door, we're starting conversations. We are literally messaging people who are liking our content, sharing our content, obviously commenting on our content, thanking them for that and letting them know if I can help with anything, my door is open. Or even better yet, commenting on their content and starting a friendly conversation. This is about understanding, are we trying to build a business in 90 days or are we trying to build a business that lasts a decade or two decades? And it's about looking at that time horizon and then remembering that we're trying to build something for tomorrow, not just today. And I think the longer you can focus on giving rather than getting, the more that that will pay dividends in the long run. And it can be painful at points. It feels hard at points. But the key is understanding why did we get into this game in the first place? Money plays a role, but it's because we care about what we do. We love to help people. So let's go help some people. And you can only help people really by connecting with them. Yeah, I think it's a strange one, you know, because I think when people see these creative ideas of, let's say, you commenting on people's Instagrams and stuff, it really does come down to 
why you're doing it. The ones that didn't think or notice his strategy were doing it automatically anyway because they are interested in doing it. And the others who feel like they have to be pushed into doing it are doing it for the wrong reasons. So I say showing up is key, but also doing it for the right reasons makes it so much easier at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a really key thing. And it's something that it's... It's so sad a lot of the time when obviously we run these strategies ourselves and we will message lots of people every single day to genuinely start conversations. We find people and guests who've obviously been on on my podcast show and we use this method to connect with people, understand like what they do, how they do it. Maybe they become a good guest for us for a podcast. Maybe they just become a peer. Maybe in a very small set, set of situations, they become a client down the line. The immediate go-to for so many people is to put their barriers up, get defensive and be like, I don't want to be sold to. And it's like, you aren't being sold to. Like you're, I'm literally trying to talk to you. And I think for so many people, that scares them and puts them off. And this is where if I hadn't maybe have had a long career of having phones slammed down on me and doors shut in my face from doing that direct B2B sales, well, you, I can understand why people would take it to heart a little bit more. So this is where I say like having that skill set and building that muscle of being okay, talking to people, like being in rooms with people uh, where somebody maybe says, I'm not really that interested in what you're talking about uh, or how you phrased it and learning conversation patterns becomes really important because to me, the way I look at this now is if I approach somebody for a conversation and genuinely want to help, and I know that my my approach is honest and, and true and I'm doing it for the right reasons, and they are either rude, shut me down, have no interest in talking to me, my thought is, thank you. Like you've you've saved me the trouble of trying to build a relationship with somebody who is completely out of alignment with me. And we should want to build our business and our networks with people who are in alignment with us because that makes the coaching experience and the success rate so much better and so much more enjoyable. Nice. And I'm guessing a big part of this is actually tracking and playing with the messages, if that makes sense. So it's not the same message and you get 100 no's and you haven't changed it. It's testing out different sequences. Yeah, I think the testing is the, is the big part. And you can start with a, a simple, basic, thanks for liking my piece of content or thanks for following me or whatever it might be. And you can play around with everything up to what looks like a more of an automated message where you're giving people like set value they can choose from and everything in between. The most important thing is that you inject a bit of you into it. And I think this is where it can sometimes from a scalability perspective, this is where you have to make a few compromises. But for most people who are running this process themselves, focus on complete organicness of conversation. The more you can connect with them about them, like about their stuff, about what they're doing, something that initiates a conversation from their perspective and them understanding that you're just appreciative of them engaging with your stuff, the more likely a conversation is to, to um, ignite. So we've had a few people on the on the podcast previously talk about some serious numbers they've got in regards to followers, and then those followers turned into sales and Instagram on these platforms and stuff like this. Yeah. And they've mentioned how long it takes them every day to do this type of stuff. How long would you suggest for somebody to be on Instagram, liking, commenting, DMing, interacting with people every day to really move the needle? Yeah, so this is something that... It's a question I get asked a lot. And the honest answer is 
as long as you can afford to. Like if you only have a 20 minute, 30 minute window and you can, can do that and it comes back to the consistency. If you can do that consistently every single day, well, then it's about prioritizing the tasks. What are the tasks most likely to move the needle? And we only do those tasks. If you have three, four, five, six hours, you can obviously turn this into a full-time job, just this one task. Uh, if you have multiple hours, well, then you invest that into it. The reason being, this is the oxygen and the lifeblood to your business. It's kind of like asking, well, I have a Facebook ad running at the moment. It's currently running 24 hours a day. Should I keep it running 24 hours a day or should I turn it off when I go to bed? And it's like, well, no, keep it running. Like, we want this to be a process that's operational as, as much as possible through the day. But the key here is the consistency. There's no point showing up to do it on Monday for three hours. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you don't do it at all. Friday, you pick it up for 20 minutes. Because all those conversations you manage to get started will be starting to wilt and die. And you have to go back to square one again with those conversations. So it's that consistency of being able to move it forward through uh, the week. So if we're having these conversations, how long do we need to almost butter them up before we actually say, do you want to jump on a call or here's my actual program? Or can we can we do it quite quick, depending on how the conversation started? Yeah, it depends on the person and it depends on the conversation and it depends on who you are and how you are. So for me, like there's a few different types of conversations that, that I personally have. And it, I'm a big fan of patterns. So looking at what someone's saying to me, if someone is super skeptical, maybe he's been burnt in the past and had a bad experience and he's giving me very short answers. That is a long term conversation. We're going to be talking probably on and off for couple of days maybe even a couple of weeks before anything meaningful really happens with that relationship you're going to have other people who immediately resonate like and i don't know if you can relate to this but there's some people that when you start a conversation they light up your inbox like they love to talk they want to share they're really into networking and they love the fact that you reached out to them that person i'm immediately seeing should we get on a call and chat because for me it's a better use of time to talk to somebody on a call, like to get to know them with actual FaceTime, than it is exchanging messages. They're already open to it. The moment you can see that door is open to give value, to help, to connect with somebody, jump straight through it. Um, I think the moment you start to put a timeline on it is the moment it, you start doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, I've sent eight messages and I've been told I should be sending 10 messages before I book a call. Well, I'll just send two more messages and then I'll try and book a call. Oh, well, they didn't book the call yeah, because they weren't ready because you didn't read the conversation. You just did it to 10 messages because yeah. we know we need touch points. So it's about understanding the dynamic of the conversation, I think, more than anything. And are we restricted to just messages or should we be chucking in voice notes or actual video messages in as well? Yeah. So, again, a really good question. I think it comes down to um, like biopsychology. And so... If somebody is doing a, if you were face to face with somebody, one of the best ways to build rapport with them is to mirror their body language. So I think that one of the best ways to build rapport with somebody is to mirror their conversation style. So if somebody is just sending long blocks of text, I'll reply with longer blocks of text instead of single messages. I won't send a voice note unless they send a voice note first, because some people hate voice notes. I love a voice note, but. <laughs> exactly. So, and if you received a voice note from somebody who you were kind of lukewarm about talking with, you'd be like, oh, I'll listen to that later. I can't be bothered to listen to it now. And the conversation stops. But if they voice note you and you send them a big block of text back, they're like, they might be like, 
I hate reading text. Ugh, I'll look at this later. So it, it really comes down to allowing them to, first of all, lead the conversation style of obviously we start with just text. This is why I don't like starting conversations with a voice note or a video. I think it's a bit personally, and this is only a personal opinion. I think it's a bit cringy. I really dislike people sending me video messages. I'm like, it's a bit weird. Like it feels salesy from the get. So it for me, it's about start with something very simple. Everyone is okay with short messages. And then it's about understanding how do they like the conversation to go? and then move it to that stage. And if for whatever reason, I want to send a voice note because it's a long message and they haven't sent me one first, I'll always ask permission first. Do you mind if I drop you a voice note? And then they'll say, yeah, sure, no worries. And then you can give them a long voice note. Yes, it's, it really is an interesting one. Like you say, man, mirror what you're doing in the sales sales sessions. We've done that loads of times before, but obviously doing it online, it does make sense if they like, short answers reply with short answers. So they just build that connection. They you knocking down those hurdles yeah. to, to warm them up. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Is there anything you think I haven't asked on this topic that you think maybe I should have asked? Um, no, the one thing I would add though, when we're looking at the attention piece is don't just focus on social. And I, this doesn't mean go off and start a podcast. Like what I mean by that is go and look at, what other means there are and actually explore those properly because like going down that route being a guest on a podcast is a great way to not only build your experience but it also allows you to build your confidence and also really to like get very clear on your own thoughts on specific topics which in turn benefits the content you can create you're able to then connect with other people and you'll be surprised at like how easy it is if you if you are a credible person if you have an, a track record of working in an industry for a set period of time you can go and share those experiences and that knowledge with so many different shows and so many different types of um podcasts some of them just audio some of them streaming like this and you can maybe even then start to look at like blogs and those types of things and it's about understanding that it's then about creating that machine, that lead machine that drives everybody then back to your socials, which allows you to get more likes, which allows you to then get more leads. So don't just get pinned in too heavily by social because people were building very successful businesses before social media came along. Don't neglect those old channels. There was something you said earlier and it just clicked. It came back to me like... Um... A lead doesn't have to be a name, email, and phone. A lead is somebody signaling interest. So like you said, if someone likes your post, reach out to them and say, hey, thanks for liking my post. Because I'm guessing that person might have just been a little bit scared or a little bit unsure about messaging you. And then you've just been able to just start that conversation yourself. Yeah. Like think of all the different places you've got to start with finding leads. Like, yes, it's ideal if we've got a phone number and an email, but let's just look at a couple of places. Like the next thing is it's ideal if somebody puts their hand up by asking for something. But if you look at your social content, anyone who's liking it, um, we want to go and we want to message them. If we are really low, maybe on the audience that we have ourselves are quite small. Well, if we're over on TikTok, we can see who's viewed our profile. I would be connect, creating connections with those people to go message those people. They looked at you for a reason. Maybe they accidentally clicked on you, but maybe not. Maybe they've been watching in the background for a while. If you have an email system and you're sending out emails, you can see who opened the email. 
Maybe you should drop them a more personalized message directly. Maybe you could go find them on social to say, thanks so much for reading my last email. It means a lot that you took the time to open it. How have you been? Uh, it's about making that effort and going above and beyond what other people do. Because if you just do what other people do, well, then you'll have the same success or lack thereof of success that other people have. So it's about being, and I think you're a prime example, Dave, like you, you, everyone sees how hard you work in all of those different areas in your business. You have great success because of it. Like it's not like you sit there at five o'clock and go, well, I'm done for the day, shut the laptop, go put Netflix on and chill out. Like you, you continue to work. We work on weekends. We work on holidays. Our laptops go with us when we go away so that we can get in a little bit more. We can get another idea down. We can flesh out that thing. Take the same approach with leads. And at this point, like personally, I have a team. I have some appointment setters. I have people also taking some sales calls. Uh, but for me, I remain in the process. Whilst I'm walking on the treadmill in the morning, I'm sending messages. I I'm like finding ways to still remain in the game because I know the moment I take my foot off the gas, I'm a hundred percent reliant on other people. And for me, I want to remain in some form of control of making sure that that oxygen keeps coming into the business. Yeah, the the point there, like the killer strategies there, is do the things that the people are not willing to do. Do the things that people just think, nah, that's that's below me i'm not messaging people who like because that's the way you're going to grow quickly and have a lazy like inbox a pipeline full of consistent leads a couple of really great examples of this and so essentially like zig whilst everyone else at zags but a couple of real life examples of this that will always come to mind for me is i remember back in covid i attended a webinar and it was like fairly late at night in the UK, it was with Grant Cardone and it was as the pandemic first hit and everyone was locked down and he was like stuck in his house and he was obviously like selling a, a program because he's always selling something. And it was a 60 minute webinar. He stayed for two and a half hours on that webinar. The guy was making 150 million a year. He didn't even need to be on the webinar. One of his team could have just delivered the webinar. He was there he, he and it was a live webinar. So he was answering questions. He was like sharing more stuff. And some people who are skeptical are like, well, he was just selling it for as long as possible. But the fact is, he didn't need to be there. Like, mm -hmm. he doesn't even need to work one day for the rest of his life. But yet he gave up his entire evening to push this thing that he really believed in. Another great example, the guy's surname escapes me, but his name's Charlie. On TikTok, he goes through and he, um, like, reviews side hustles. And he runs, like, a really successful agency. Again, seven-figure business owner. He had a lead magnet come out. I clicked on the lead magnet. Within five minutes, he had texted me. And I was like, nah, it's not him. It's somebody else. He then rang me. I didn't, I missed the call. And he left a voicemail. And it was him. And it's that thing of, it goes to show, like, I, again, like, I'm no different. Like, I like to show up on as many calls as I can. Like, I like to do things inside of my business. So do you. And it's the thing that just because you are having some success doesn't mean that you should just hand off all these processes and never look at them again. Like, I'm not saying you should do everything all of the time. Being there and being in the mud, so to speak, um, that's what's going to make you successful in the long term. It's a, it's a funny one, like you say, um, it's happened a few times where these sales call have been on or someone's chatting with the live chat support team for Lead Deck or whatever. And then I just turn up and it's like, oh, Dave, I didn't realize I, I, I didn't realize you, you, you would you would see these messages or turn up. And they they kind of feel like like in a weird way, like it's an honor that I've took yeah. some time out 
to check in on that message or make sure that inquiry is going okay or make sure that ads are doing well or something. It's like he, he, we shouldn't be, I shouldn't be doing this, but he's actually taking time out of his day to actually make sure that I am getting the right service that I should be getting, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the key, isn't it? And when you look at what so many other people do is they hand off everything at the earliest moment in a, from the perspective of not to build that process or not to make it more successful, but so that they never have to do it again. And it comes back to doing things for the right reasons and handing a process off because you just don't want to do it is not the right reason. And I think it's those things that... I think, and this is a thought that I've I've started to become clearer and clearer on myself, is that being an entrepreneur and a business owner, it might be cool and trendy on social media. It's a hard job and it is not for everybody. There's plenty of things. If you are really good at doing one thing and you like doing one thing, well, that to me is the definition of a job, not running a business. Like running a business, you have to be willing to get involved in all parts of the business at all points for a very, very long time until you are far and above that seven figure mark. You need to be like high seven figures, low eight figures before you even start to think, okay, I'm probably never going to do that job again. I'm going to only be looking at like much higher level stuff. Nice. Okay. So if people are feeling pumped now, they're like, yeah, I can do this. Where can they reach out and learn more? And obviously you've got a special offer for everyone that's listening right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. So feel free to reach out to me on Facebook is probably the most logical place. So facebook.com slash alan.miles. So alan spelled A-L-L-A-N. So it's two L's and two A's instead of an E. So alan.miles. Um, and just drop the word audit in the DMs and I will offer you a free audit. Usually we do these on a Loom call. We're big on value. If you're really, really, really against getting on a Zoom call because you're worried that someone's going to sell to you, which they won't, then we will do it in the DMs and we'll send you a Loom video, giving you a quick social audit uh, and mapping out a few things that will really help to drive your social forward. Um, if you want to go to my website, you can find me at alanmiles.com um, and you'll have access to all of my socials there, as well as some of our social proof and an overview of what we do. Nice, Alan. Appreciate you coming on today. And obviously, we've had you on before, so we'll probably get you on again further down the line to learn some more interesting, insightful stuff. But no, appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. No problem. Speak later. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. Thanks for joining us this week on another guest interview. Each and every Monday, we try and bring you a brand new guest interview to help you grow and scale your fitness business. As usual, if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, don't forget to subscribe below. And if you want to watch these interviews live and ask questions, then come and join us inside the free Facebook group. I'll speak to you all next week. Cheers.